Here we go. Ready? Ready? Everybody ready? How about now? Just kidding. You know, just like physical illness, mental illness can be overcome. We just got to inspire people to believe that. The mental health community and the firearms industry have spent way too much time running parallel to each other without communicating. It's time we change the narrative and destroy the stigma that we both face. Walk the Talk America presents Guns and Mental Health, a podcast for firearms owners, clinicians, and the curious public. It's the head nod part. All right, Collins, freestyle. You're up. <laughs> I, don't, I don't freestyle so you gotta, you gotta give me some high five stuff, man, because I was mad at something. Man. <laughs> usually where I come in and I say, welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I, I assure you, though, there is a freestyle mixtape out there with me on one or two songs that I did in high school. And I pray to God they never get out because the shit I was talking about on those freestyles were insane. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that. Jake, hit button number three, please, right now. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, it was back in my, in, you know, back in the days when the, when the diplomats, I don't know if you're familiar with those guys, mm-hmm. but the diplomats are really big. And so that was a, a, that was a big, let's just say, influence on my, on my subject matter uh, uh, when I engaged in my free, my short lived rap like, career. Yeah, top rap career. Yeah. I mean, it could be yin yang twins or three six or something. I mean, like um, really it nasty. Worse. Oh, man. <laughs> How is everybody? Happy Happy New Year! We're recording this uh, first week of January, and um, we made it to 2021. The world didn't spin off its axis. Yeah, well, me with the runny nose. So I made it into 21 with the runny nose. So you know, I'll be wiping my nose periodically through this. Things could be worse. Everyone's gonna think you have COVID. Just know, right? that, well, that, I got uh, it already. So <laughs> jokes on you. <laughs> I did get my shot. My uh, my arm felt like I was hit by a pitch for uh, two straight days. That was really that bad. It, it just right in the deltoid. I mean, it was like I took an 85 mile an hour pitch in the deltoid and uh, then it was gone. No bruising, but just definitely hurt. No other side effects, no other effects. But then I get my second one here in a couple of weeks. So we'll see how that goes. I'm sorry. Did you say second? There's two, there's two stages to the uh, vaccination. Yes. Oh, you need to get two inside of uh, four weeks, whether it's the Pfizer or the Moderna. Now I can't speak for the, the Oxford AstraZeneca or the Johnson Johnson or whatever the other ones are that are out there, but the but the mRNA ones require two installations. And apparently, if you haven't had COVID recently, the second one will create um, an immune response, meaning a you know a, an effect of symptoms. And if you have had COVID recently, like a buddy of mine did, the first one creates that response. So he had like fever and the headache and a little bit of nausea. And, but wait a minute. So basically, COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, but if it keeps you from dying, I, I suppose that's worth the exchange. Fair enough. Uh, well, for the listening audience, uh, if you don't know who we are, we are joined by Mr. Coley and Noir. Um, hello, how are you? Hey, how's you, it going, guys? You at a gun range today? Or is Am that I your home? Yeah, is that your oh, home? House. I'm at home. That's pretty awesome. I want a pegboard with a bunch of uh, weaponry on it too. Hey, I know a guy. Yeah, I bet you do. Do I have to go? To, do I have to go to Texas to get that? 
<laughs> oh, we, you know, we, you know, we got, we can, we can deliver. We can deliver. I'm uh, sure they can deliver actually. Mr. Colian Noir is uh, one of our board members for Walk the Talk America, and we've made a concerted effort to get as many trustees on the show as possible to talk about their enthusiasm for what we're doing, you know, joining the two communities of firearms ownership and mental health clinicians and uh, trying to bridge that gap. And so the interview is obviously going to talk about that, but then we're going to, you know, explore some other stuff and um, hopefully this will be illuminating for everyone. Michael, you're wearing our t-shirt. I love it. Yep, I actually did. Uh, I did the gun shop show earlier this morning, so I came out to represent Walk Talk America. Uh, the shirt is a conversation starter. It's kind of like at the intersection of guns and mental health. You know, that's where we stay at. So I wear the shirt. Um, yeah, you know. and, and if you're listening and not seeing, because this is going to be posted on video too, the shirt on the front says "The Intersection of Guns and Mental Health," and it's got the lime green mental health awareness color. Um, and then on the back, there's two puzzle pieces and the two puzzle pieces, one, one has a bunch of, they're wordles. If you're familiar with wordles, it's a bunch of words associated with a topic. One is gun words and the other is mental health words. And the two puzzle pieces are ostensibly going to be fitting together. So it is a conversation starter. And the class is called at the intersection of guns and mental health. And that's the, the firearms cultural competence that we teach for clinicians. So anyway, we're all flying our flags and, uh, proud of ourselves. So Colin, Introduce yourself to the audience because, um, you know, you're, you're sort of a, a celebrity in the culture, an influencer, if you will. But uh, for people who may not know who you are, if they're coming from the mental health angle, uh, they're not familiar and don't know who you are. So tell us, what do you do for, for a living and why are you here and what's your interest? Well, technically, I'm a wretched lawyer. Um, <laughs> are you still, are you licensed? Are you, do you still get your bar yeah. license? Yep. Sure. Yeah, sure. Um, sorry, guys. This is nuts. I just ordered some. <laughs> Some allergy medication, so it'll kick in here in about five minutes. I promise. And if it doesn't, live with it. Um, <laughs> this makes for good radio when you got when you got sniffling and sneezing and coughing oh, and hacking. God, it's so bad. It's bad. It's been really bad over the last week and a half. Um, that being said, no, uh, I'm an attorney technically, um, but I also am, I guess, what you would call an influencer in in the the gun industry. I'm a two A advocate. Um, I did some time with the NRA. Uh, being the unofficial spokesperson for the NRA. And I mean that literally the unofficial spokesperson. Um, I had a, had a couple shows, several shows actually on NR when I was with the NRA, which dealt with um, two way advocacy uh, on the political side of things and two way advocacy more so on the cultural side of things. Um, and uh, that's by and large it, you know, I moonlight sometimes as a stand up comedian, but other than that vampire hunter, <laughs> <laughs> all those guns behind him have silver bullets in them um, blades illegitimate child how'd you how'd you come into that like did you start making the videos first or did somebody shoulder tap you and say hey you're into this uh i want to i want you to to do this thing or like what was the what was the unfolding there um literally it was just a friend of mine one day was like do you want to go shoot that literally was it like i had the most uninspiring Genesis story on the planet. A friend of mine was like, "Hey, do you want to go shoot?" I was like, "Yeah, sure." I was a little hesitant to be honest with you because I wasn't exactly pro gun. But what I ended up doing was I decided, you know what? I don't want to be a little p word. So I decided, you know, let me just go ahead and just do this. Let me just face this fear, so to speak. And went there. The first shot terrified me. The second shot hooked me. Um, and it was wrapped from there. And then I just kind of followed the rabbit all the way down the hole to the point where I was literally watching 
I mean, I was consuming an ungodly amount of, of firearm content. And then this was back when like YouTube was really at like a starting point and it really hadn't hit um, exponential growth yet, but it was big enough where there was a lot of content on there for me to watch um, before they started, you know, shadow banning and minimizing content and so forth. But um, once I did that, it just, it just one thing led to another. Then unfortunately during that time as well, there were um, a couple of high profile shootings. And so as a result of that, I found myself kind of wading into the political side of it um, where uh, if I remember specifically, I just, I, there, you know, I was starting to hear talks and murmuring about, you know, banning this and, and adding these type of restrictions and so forth and so on. And, and for me at the time, it was very pure in my head. I was like, that doesn't really make any sense to me. Like, I don't see how that's going to actually fix anything. And then here I was this individual who had this newfound passion for something that I'm hearing now for the first time people vilifying. And, and I understand it within the context, so to speak, but it didn't seem rational to me. So uh, I decided to put a video out kind of giving my solution uh, in terms of what to do with respect to school shootings. Cause I vividly remembered, um, what was the school shooting? Uh, God, I can't remember. I forgot. I can't believe I forgot the name of it. Um, Sandy Hook? Uh, uh, Columbine. Columbine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I remember vividly, you know, going through Columbine. Um, I wasn't there literally, but you know, I was in high school and it happened. So it was something that kind of hit really close to home. And so I said, you know what, let me put out a video out and let me put out why I think or what ways that I can come up with to stop a shooting like this. And that video went viral. And so I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, and some more talking, some more political stuff started to pop up. And I started just responding to them and kind of giving my take and my breakdown based on what I knew. And then at the time I was in law school as well. So it gave me the ability to kind of practice my advocacy skills. And um, as a result of that, video started going viral. Then one day, the, um, I got a phone call from the NRA and they were like, Hey, we want you to basically keep doing exactly what you're doing right now, but just do it on our platform. And I was like, sure. Kind of, <laughs> um, you know, I, I, initially I was a little reluctant because I was aware of the, um, they, they, they kind of had a bad reputation, um, especially for people of my ilk. And I said, you know what, let me, I want to take some time and kind of research and get to know the organization, you know, research the organization's history, so forth and so on, just so that I'm not diving into something unexpectedly and um, taking on whatever bad juju they may have had with respect to public perception, which ended up happening anyway. But (laughs) 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 But I decided to go ahead and do it. And um, to this day, no regrets. Um, but I no longer am with the NRA, but I still continue my two-way advocacy on my platform, which has grown exponentially. What was the hesitation you, you, you mentioned there? Uh, you said people of my ilk, and I don't know if that means um, you know you are a black man for those people mm-hmm. who are not um, watching. I don't know if that means racial, because there that is true also. The NRA has not had a long history of incorporation of uh, inclusivity. Or if it's something else like new shooters or you know people on YouTube or what did you mean by that? Um, the, it was it was multifaceted. However, the tip of the spear of that statement was my color, mm. um, just for a lot of people who who look like me as far as my race is concerned. Um, you know, there's a perception that the NRA was inherently racist, and so for me, that's why I was a little reluctant at first. But then I did beg the question, like, well. I don't have the KKK knocking on my door asking me to join their organization. <laughs> so it kind of made me question, you know, to what degree that racism existed, if it did at all. 
What did yeah, you find? They, they, awesome. When I would, after my first divorce, I remember dating a girl who, she's a black, beautiful black woman. Does a little bit of a humble brag. Beautiful. <laughs> Mike only dates beautiful women. Only, only beautiful. Um, but uh, I remember one night we had, we ended up in that argument. So the NRA is racist. And I was like, well, give me an example of that. You know, um, I, I needed her to give me any, of course she couldn't. I said, maybe you should go to an NRA show or just check it out before you kind of label somebody that, you know what I mean? It's, but it's just that, that what people believe. Um, and it became this, do you think the NRA really cares about black people? And that, okay. That's an argument. Maybe, you know, who knows, right? There's individual board members that make up and there's a lot of members that make up this organization. There are probably some racist people in there. We know there are, you know what I mean? But there's probably a lot of people that aren't. Um, but this is kind of the world we live in these days, right? It's yeah. like how people lump Republicans into all one thing. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely something I dealt with quite a bit, even, you know, amongst some of my friends and people that knew me, uh, you know, big question. And even, even some celebrities who I never even knew, uh, decided to, you know, that this time this, when I joined them, this was around the time when Twitter was taken off as well. And so, you know, I had the likes of Russell Simmons begging the question of why as a young black man, would I be part of an organization like that? And I was like, you mean defending myself? <laughs> like I was, I was, I was, I was legitimately adequately confused. I was like, wait a minute, wait, I'm, I'm confused. Like I am a black man in a country where if I'm doing, if I'd been doing what I'm doing now, I probably wouldn't be doing it for long. But yet here I am doing this on a public platform with an organization that is known to be one of the biggest lobbying or most powerful lobbying organizations in the world. Um, I, I just, I couldn't unsee the irony in his critique of my decision. Um, but nonetheless, you know, I did get that backlash in a lot of ways. How, how was it growing into the, the celebrity dumb, if you will? Uh, Cause you got, um, a couple, almost a couple million followers on YouTube. I actually looked that up because I didn't know. Um, and I, my kid wasn't sleeping the other night and he came out and he was like, can I watch videos with you? And I was like, yeah, here's uh, here's one of our board members and see how many followers he has. And here's dad's channel. He's got 174. Um, <laughs> and it was like 1.67 million on YouTube subscribers. And uh, I don't know what your Twitter and Instagram are uh, push, pushing a million, but one of the things that we talked about before we started recording was this idea that you stand up there and the higher you get on the pedestal, the more stones get thrown your direction for good or for bad. And I'm curious how you've managed to weather that storm, whether it's coming from people who are like, like Russell Simmons, like you mentioned, like don't, don't know, but they just assume, or if it's like well-intentioned people or just straight up haters. Like how how do you psychologically navigate that type of uh, conflict? I guess. Uh, initially, I tried to do that. I tried to try to make a distinction between just the haters, the genuine critiques, and other motivations for any type of critique. And I realized that that was probably not the best way to go because you can't really discern it. It's exhausting. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you don't really know where a lot of it comes from. I think remember when Drake released an album when he talked about how he would see a comment uh, in one of the songs. He's like, I'd see a comment from somebody, and he'd want to you know get on get on there and, and respond back, and then he go look and see who the person was, and it's like some little teenager who <laughs> feels nobody cares about him, so that's why he's out there trying to get attention. Um, 
and a lot of times, you know, I would find myself doing that too and realizing, yeah, this is not worth it. Um, however, initially I thought I was Superman. I, I, I thought I went in thinking I can deal with all of this. I I'm an only child. Um, so, and I'm, I'm a person who walks to the beat of his own drum. Um, I'm, I can be a bit recluse. I'm kind of self, um, what's what I'm looking for. I'm kind of self-validated in a lot of ways. Um, if I like something, I don't jump on it because I think it's a trend. It's just, I just like it. But then if I had something that I like and everybody else is like, yeah, I'm like, whatever, I don't care. So I thought, you know, this is nothing for me. I, I could, I could take any of these critiques, whether or not they're uh, genuine or not, I can deal with it. Um, there's something to be said about attrition because after some time it starts to, it starts to weigh on you in a way that you don't even realize until people start pointing out to you. Um, you become a little more snappy. You start taking things a little more personally in your real life. Um, I found myself just unnecessarily just being kind of down a little bit um, and not down in that. I was sad, just kind of beaten a little bit. And, and then at the time you don't, it's so subtle, but yet so impactful. You don't really realize it. And then I started hearing other people who are kind of in, who are in my position or even more so and listening to some of the things that they do, most notably Joe Rogan, you know, Joe Rogan is just like, playing something. don't read the comments. Yeah. Yeah. It is, which is hard to do because when you're talking about somebody who's built an audience from the ground up, right? Not never bought followers, never did any of that stuff. We're talking straight up organic growth over the course of 10 to 15 years. You start to see your, you start to see the people who follow you as is almost family in a way. And, and you want to engage with them. You want to look at the comments you like putting up. I like putting out content and then seeing the positive comments and then not necessarily seeing the bad ones, but you know, some of the critiques that made me go, okay, because I like to challenge my creative. Um, and so I say, okay, maybe I can change this up or just to get a, ga- a good gauge or feel what the audience is liking, what they're not liking. Unfortunately, in doing that, you open yourself up to all the other BS, mm-hmm. you know? So for me, it, it was definitely, uh, a war of attrition in terms of getting me to a point where I started realizing this is actually affecting my emotional health. And so I, I really honestly just had to back away from it in terms of engaging to the degree that I once did, you know, it was, you know, it could be fun sometimes when I'm out, you know, at a bar drinking and then I pick up my phone and I'm like, all right, you're going to get it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, that can be fun, but by and large, after a while, it really just starts to weigh on you. Because like you said, you can't really determine or pick what is true and what's not, what's genuine and what's not. So you just assume everything is genuine because what I was starting to see a lot too was somebody would say something out of pocket and then I'd respond to it. And and to to the same degree or even more so, I'm not Drake's mom. I don't go higher, I go lower. And so (laughs) as a result of that, what would end up happening pretty consistently is it'd be followed up by the person saying, well, no, no, I'm actually one of your biggest fans. And I'm like, what? It just, just, the whole dynamic just kind of was just, it weirded me out, but then confused me all at the same time. Cause I just didn't understand it. I'm like, well, that's a weird way of showing your fandom. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Um, So after a while, I just had to tell myself, just, I tried it. I just said, let me just back away from it. Let me just post and go. Right. I didn't like it, but it is what it is. It is what it was. I was like, let me try it. 
And I did. And I noticed the difference. I literally legitimately noticed the difference. Um, I wasn't as stressed out. I wasn't as I was more focused on I was put in a position where I could be more focused on actually creating content instead of wondering about what this person's saying and responding to that person or putting unnecessary pressure on myself to do certain things because of something I read, not realizing that's what was motivating the idea to do something. It's, and so as I step back, it just, I, I noticed the load getting lighter emotionally and it's kind of where I think I'm going to stick. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to bring up a story because the, I always felt like you were very misunderstood. Um, and we started off, I started off as a guest on one of your shows on NRA TV. Yeah. And then we over me coming back numerous times, we started to develop a friendship. Right. And I remember how unfair, um, a lot of things are for you. And, and I remember one time you said to me, you're like, Mike, I'm not black enough for people. I'm too black for people. I'm not pro gun enough for people. I'm too pro, <laughs> you know, like you couldn't win. Um, and one day, you called me and I was at a hardware store and you're like, I'm going to do something right. I think it was during like the bump stock thing and everyone wanted you to make a comment or something or to release video like they always do. And you go, I'm going to post a poem that has nothing to do with firearms because your page isn't just all firearms. You, it's a lifestyle, right? You're into cars and you're into music. So you like to give people a peek of that. Um, and you've taken shit for that as well. Right. When people are like, yeah, just leave the hip hop car thing. Uh, (laughs) But, um, you posted this and you, you literally kind of did a countdown, like keep hitting refresh. Let's see how quickly this turns into people uh, hammering me about whatever it is they don't like. And sure enough, it took maybe like seven seconds and a refresh. And someone was like, Oh yeah, well you don't talk about the bump stock thing or how about it? The poem had nothing to do. With that, uh, but they made it that. Yeah. It actually happened recently, as a matter of fact. I put up a James Bond post and I randomly just, I just went out and just skimmed real quickly. I wasn't even trying to look at comments, I was just skimming. And a guy goes, Well, why aren't you talking about this guy? It was a guy who got shot by the cops recently. And I think the, the judge decided to uh, find the cops innocent or whatever. And <laughs> like, Oh, you can talk about, you can talk about James Bond, but you won't say anything about so and so. And and I and I'll admit I, I I took the bait, and I was I, I essentially was like I was like shut the f up <laughs> I was just I just I was like shut up like it just at, at this point I just didn't care um, largely because I was like his accusation couldn't been so further from the truth especially considering some of the other content and the other videos where I've done not only exactly what he's talking about but above and beyond even to the degree where I knew I would lose a part of my audience because I know the vantage point that I had and the conclusion I came out to on a particular issue would not fall in line with a lot of people that followed me. So yeah. I, it, it got to a point, it was just so ridiculous. I was just like, just get out of here, dude. There's, there's so much I want to comment on here from a, from a counselor's perspective. Like um, the psychological concept of projection is when we ascribe traits to people that they may or may not have, but we want them to have that because we need them to be something for us. And what you're describing there perfectly fits that. Whoever that guy was needed you to be the advocate for whatever he needed you to be the advocate for. And when you stepped out of that line, 
he didn't know how to comprehend it. So his his own re- only reaction was to try to put you back into the box that he created, um, mm-hmm. which is very very tough for people. And I, I know we it's not just celebrities who, who experience this, um, but some of them do experience it to the degree that they they can't tolerate it anymore. Um, there's a there's a really strong opinion that says that Marilyn Monroe. Uh, died by suicide because she couldn't handle what the entire country was projecting on her, specifically young men and what they needed her to be. And she just, she collapsed. Um, couldn't carry it anymore. Which is funny because I think there was a quote of her actually saying she was actually pretty bad at sex. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, I think I remember that. I, I can't verify, but I think I did hear a quote about that. She's yeah. like, actually, I'm not that great in bed. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's all speculation at this point, and we don't, you know, we don't need to go revisit some from, you know, yesteryears, but <laughs> we want to respect the dead. But, um, but we do this in our own personal relationships too, where, you know, uh, boyfriends and girlfriends, husbands and wives, bosses and employees, uh, teachers and students, we, we see each other in this context that we, we think we need people to be for us. Um, and it's very, very challenging for the recipient of that projection because they don't know the, what the expectations are. And now you yeah. augment that by, you know, however many X times, uh, you know, hundred thousand or even just a hundred, imagine a teacher at the front of a classroom or a professor, you know, it's like every individual student is expecting that professor or that teacher to, to be something. And if they fail, um, it's not on the professor. It's really, really hard to receive that kind of feedback when you don't know what the expectations are. So I guess that's all to say, um, go easy on yourself. If you find yourself disappointing people you never knew existed in your life, uh, and, and it's not your fault. But, uh, the other thing that I, I detected in there too, is that your, um, your ability, and this is a little earlier on your ability to now focus on creating content instead of engaging people. I think, I think it brings an inherent conflict because what we're trying to do as an organization, for example, with WTTA is we want dialogue. We want to change minds. And, and that's, uh, that's not opaque. That We're not guessing at that. We want to pull people from the fringes who have, like we've said before, long stood opposed each other across this like you know self-imposed chasm and bring them into the middle. That's our job. We want to bring people into the middle away from the fringe so that we stop fighting and we solve death uh, you know, that can be otherwise prevented. And the way you do that is through dialogue. And if you try to dialogue with people who don't want to have their minds changed and all they want to do is convert you to their position, it makes it really hard to, to achieve the mission. So what do you do? You put up you know, content that uh, you know, hopefully people digest it and receive it. But I'm curious uh, how you're handling that because you do have an agenda. You want people to defend themselves you know, defend the second amendment, um, embrace firearms if they've never done it before, do it safely and responsibly. Right. So how are you, how do you balance that now? Uh, by doing stuff like this. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, more podcasts. Everyone needs more podcasts. I have the benefit. I have the luxury, um, where I have enough in the way of, um, I guess cloud or celebrity that I can go on certain platforms and then have those conversations and then, they can spread out to the masses, most notably like my ability to go on, say Joe Rogan. Um, to this day, I still get people sending me messages who are like, ah, oh, you know, I was anti-gun or I am still anti-gun. And, you know, I listened to you and I felt like, you know what, I can see where you're coming from. I understand his position and so forth and so on. And um, I don't know if that's going to be as effective in the long run, but 
that's one of the ways that I go about doing it. And even when I'm putting together my content, I'm fully aware that there are, t- there, are t- there are now people who follow me who may not necessarily agree with me outright. Or in a lot of ways, what people do is, and I implore them to do this, is to take my content and share it with people who disagree. And so I'm always still, when I'm putting together these videos, that is very much at the forefront of my mind. I'm not trying to convince... I'm not trying to convince the hardliners and I'm not necessarily trying to give red rah-rah meat to my base. It may come off as that sometimes because I just have to say these things so that it provides the context. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, what I'm doing is I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk to the people in the middle. I'm trying to talk to the people who may not agree with me, but don't have enough information in a way. uh, They don't have enough information to completely disagree with me. Or enough information to say, uh, I see where you're coming from. And so I try to give them that information so that they can then go back and develop their position a little bit more. This is a selfish question on my part. I'm gonna I'm gonna frame it in this context. Um do, do you know who Z Dog MD is? Uh Zubin, uh, no. Zubin Demania. He's he's been um, he's been producing videos for their somewhat satirical but they're parody videos of real songs he's very very talented he's a doctor he makes these videos he he sings his own lyrics and and he's been doing it for years basically poking fun at or lifting the the veil on healthcare and trying to make healthcare better and so that was his platform and he grew a lot of a large audience from it but then during the pandemic what he's done is he's become this voice of centrist reason on um covid SARS-CoV-2 the vaccinations and um it's been really fun to watch him grow and develop through that process, but he's also accumulated a large audience again, you know, being like trying to pull into the middle and disseminate accurate information. We're trying to do the same thing here. Right. So against that backdrop, I, I want to ask you this, cause I've seen myself in this position before where I get called, um, difficult or, um, or, or overbearing or hard to talk to. And it's like, it's, it's only because I seem to possess more information because I did more research and you're a smart dude. You've got a law degree, you've got a bar license, you're very articulated and you study a lot. Do you get that also where it's like, oh, you're unapproachable, you're intimidating. I can't, I can't talk to you because, uh, the person accusing you of that doesn't have as much information. <laughs> I did initially. Um, and I still do to a degree. Um, what would ha- the way it shows itself now is just they just won't even engage. Mm. Like, like you know, we'll start and then it's like, oh, you have an answer for everything. Yeah, like, I've gotten that now, too. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's because I studied this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what you expect me to to do or say. Um, but I do get that quite a bit now when I engage in these conversations. I I, I try to be more. I try to engage in more Socratic method ever so slightly without, but you got to be careful because sometimes I can come off a little condescending. Yes. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's definitely, it's an active balance within the conversation. And sometimes I'll give up ground on things. I really just don't care about just so I can have the conversation progress forward. Um, and then it, and, and really it all depends on what is the goal of the, of the interaction. If I'm, if I'm just, I'm honestly not very good at, good God, I'm sorry, guys. This is my allergies are driving me insane. I'm actually, I don't really care to do the whole SmackDown thing um, where you just kind of outwit the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, there are people, there, I'm sure there are people who do a lot better job of that than I. Um, however, I will say that in Toot Mahone, I was like, I, I do believe I'm, I'm a converter, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, to me personally, more, more effective. 
um, because it, you could smack smack somebody's argument down, but all you're going to do is ignite their uh, ignite their ego response. Well, and if and, it, yeah, yeah, you're right. And if it happens in a, in a public forum, all the eyeballs watching it happen just think that you're a jerk. You know, exactly. Yeah, and that doesn't. And those are the people who you're supposed to be talking to anyway. Right. Yeah, it's it, the, the most interesting thing about like gun culture in the firearms community is we constantly and I hear it all the time, and I I agree with it. Um, but we say like if people just took the time to understand or come learn about us, right? Um, and then we don't do it. <laughs> Sometimes we don't. We 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 make it so someone's not comfortable with it. And I'm going to draw on an experience I had with you um, where we went to the Bill Maher show and you were a guest. Right. And I was overly confident that everyone was going to love you because, you know, I just knew it because I knew that they were inviting somebody on the show that didn't fit the stereotypical mold of, you know, I, I made the joke. I was like, we don't look like Duck Dynasty. People are gonna do it, right? um, because that's what they wanted. They wanted the angry, like probably from the cold, dead hands, da, 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 like unreasonable person. You went on there. I thought you killed it. Um, and judging from the reaction at the after party, you killed it. Yeah. I mean, you had a line of people waiting to talk to you that I got to talk to because they had to talk to me first while the next person moved on from you. And even the p- person that was the most difficult on the show to you, right? Um, yeah, I mean, she came up after and was having just this awesome conversation. And I remember we used to have this, we would talk about this because I was like, man, um, it's so great that you're able to convert or get people to sit down and kind of be like, well, I am kind of interested in guns. Do you think the NRA blew, blew it with you? I don't think they utilized me to my fullest extent. I won't go so far as to say they blew it. Um, I do have my own personal critiques about the way they utilize me. Uh, I was very much ready to get into the fire pit. And not necessarily just to box it out so that I can say, oh, you're wrong, you're a bunch of idiots, but do it in a way that I think would have been incredibly more effective. And even if you were just looking at it from a bottom line standpoint, it would have been more profitable if that was the goal. Not saying it was, but I mean, um, inevitably, the more people you have in the organization, the more money comes to the organization, of course. But I do think that there are a lot of, in a lot of ways that they weren't utilizing me to the same extent that like, for instance, like I wasn't really getting a lot of green lights to go on different cable news networks and things like that. They never really tried to limit what I said. However, they definitely, you know, they were a little apprehensive about me going on certain shows that they were very apprehensive about me going on Bill Maher initially. Um, I wanted to do it, but they were a little apprehensive about it. Now, could I have gone ahead and do it, my, done it anyway? Yeah, I could have. Um, However, you know, I'm, I'm trying to cultivate a relationship here. And so, you know, I said, okay, I'll hold off on it. And then the opportunity came again. And then I guess this time, after some time had passed, there was a little more comfort there. But um, for instance, I thought, I thought there was a, a missed opportunity, for instance, when, they, when CNN did that town hall. And you had the likes of, of Dana Lash, which I think should have been there. And I think she did a great job, especially considering, you know, uh, the circumstances, but if there was a, if there was an ability to send two people there, I really doubt that they would have been like, no, and you can only send one person to this, mm. you know? Um, but to have that contrast of Dana being, uh, um, being a mother, and then you have this black dude here who 
does not, like you pointed out, fit the typical expectation of what you would expect um, from a gun owner perspective. But then also someone who was young enough to relate to those kids in terms of the things that they were into, um, understand their circumstances. I was in high school when Columbine happened. I was at the genesis of school shootings. You know what I mean? And I remember the inherent fear I had sitting in classroom, like, holy crap. Like it was the, it was like the known unknown because at the time you never thought about it. And then you have these kids go out and do that. And you're like, crap, that really could happen here. And so for me, I was like, you know, I would have loved to gone and, 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 and had that conversation with them. Um, but it didn't happen. And so I'm sure they had their reasons and they had their motivations. It is what it is. Um, but by and large, I, I think that, you know, I, I could critique the things they didn't do all day long. I think there were a lot of good things that they did. I think one of the beautiful things they did do is they let me be me for the most part. Like they, there was never a, Hey, we need you to say this and only this and any of that. Um, so that, that was one of the good things that, that they did. However, like I said, there was a lot more that I, w- I, w- I would have wanted to do um, in terms of getting out front and center and handling. I don't mind being the hired gun. I like the idea of it. That's why I went to law school. I wanted to be an advocate. So in a lot of ways, you know, there was, a lot, there was some frustration there. But um, I, I do think also that some of the, the rhetoric was a little too political in a lot of ways. Um, even the stuff I'm talking mainly about stuff that didn't really have to do with me. Um, and I think that kind of put a lot of people off because it confused people. It confused people from the standpoint that they didn't understand why you had a gun organization talking about so much politics. Um, now to be fair, there is a kind of a natural line of demarcation with respect to political affiliation that happens when you talk about guns, because by and large, you tend to get a negative or an anti-gun stance on firearms from people who are largely on the left, the left side of the political coin. Um, And then you tend to get a more positive on the people who are more on the right side of it for whatever reasons that is. Um, So I could see a natural tendency. I can understand a natural tendency to kind of fall in line with that um, with respect to say, you know, uh, nestling up with the Republican party. But at the same time, I think there should have been at least with with what I was doing on my end, a more of a more tactical focused approach at talking to those people on the other side. Like send me into the belly of the beast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you clearly see, saw something in me that wanted you to bring me on in the first place. So let me go and do that. And that necessarily wasn't done. I don't know what the motivation or the meaning was. It may have just been simple oversight. I mean, they are a pretty big organization. So that may have been the case or may, may have been a lack of effort on my part and, and where I could have been more diligent about saying, hey, I want to go do this. And then, you know, instead of kind of waiting to see like, OK, what are we doing here? Um, so I don't necessarily know where exactly the place to blame. But if I was going to have any critique, it would have been that. Would you? Would you do it again now? Would you go be a spokesperson for a large organization knowing what's changed and maybe what can be altered within the system? Uh, would you go back if, if invited? I know they're in a little bit of chaos right now, but. It would take a lot of money. Yeah. And here's why. Um, what comes with that is incredibly, incredibly distracting. Um, right now, not being affiliated with the major group, I think is a net positive 
I don't know to what degree being negatively, being affiliated with the bigger group is going to be a net negative or positive. I don't know. I just know right now things are going good in terms of my ability to talk to people and get a message out. I would seriously need to see what, now if we're talking specifically the NRA, there was so much extra shit that came with that. Like just on a day to day basis, it was a, it was just, it was just bad. And I'm not even talking about from them. I'm talking about the people who had whatever perceptions about the NRA that they had. Mm-hmm. So having to deal with that was just like, good gosh, this is a lot. And then I'm already taking a lot of time focusing on what I have to do with them. And honestly, the money part is I just thoroughly enjoy the freedom right now. Right. I enjoy the freedom where I create when I want to create. Now, granted, I'm a workaholic, so I'm still pumping out and doing, <laughs> working almost to the same mm-hmm. degree. Um, but just like not having to go through the red tape of putting out a video and getting it approved. I, I, I love that you mentioned the freedom because um, I've worked, I don't know, I, I stopped counting at 50 and that was like in 2008, but I worked like 50 different jobs in my life plus some. And then we founded Zephyr in 2015. So that gives you some perspective. And a buddy of mine just sent a, a job description to me. There, there's a solicitation for something with the state of Nevada and it pays a gobs of money and I would totally qualify. And I was like, there is no chance I would ever, <laughs> I would ever go back to working for someone else. Um, and you know, it's not to say that we don't work for people. There's, you know, there's always contracts and stuff like that. But the idea is that you, when you can make decisions for yourself, it's almost it becomes this like there's no money that can be thrown at me that would take away that liberty. And I and part of what we want to do in this podcast is not just bring information to people, but also encourage and inspire. So if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, you know, Plan A or Plan B, what do I do? Um, the testimony that I think we've just shared is like whatever gives you the most latitude in your personal life, you know, whether yeah. that's a selection of shifts or, um, you know, location of occupation or whatever it is. Um, it's almost never about the money because money can only buy you so much and then you have to have time to spend it anyway. And if you're spending all your time working, it doesn't do a whole lot of good, but I've never really been big. I mean, I love money, but I really, it's not the money so much as it's the freedom that I can, that it affords me. It's priceless. Um, it really is um, because, it, and the funny thing is, it's like, I, I, if I made him $10 million, like I literally was talking with my business partner and he was like, man, what if like someone wanted to buy out your brand? Cause we, we both, he and I both been like, we'd, we'd never sell. Hmm. And he, he just threw some like whimsical random number. And I was like, maybe. <laughs> right? And then this, here's the sad thing. The pathetic thing about it though. I was like, in my head, I was like, besides the the, the, sh- the sheer unadulterated amount of cars I would buy, <laughs> um, <laughs> I said, man, then I would literally be able to just focus on producing gun content and advocacy. I'm like, you're doing that now, you idiot. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and, and beyond that, they'd probably force you to stop because you'd be competition at that point. <laughs> yeah. It's always, it's, it's crazy how that works. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it on that front. I, I say repeatedly that, um, to as many people as I can, because I want, if my employees ever listen to this, I want them to know. And I tell them, but I am so blessed and I don't, 
I don't take the privilege lightly that I have my salary generated for me by my employees at, at Zephyr. And it affords me the opportunity to do things like this and go, you know, gallivanting around in the, in the community, sitting on boards and community, you know, coalitions and that kind of thing, you know, trying to really move the needle forward, uh, to make earth better as Mike and Rob constantly say. And so I want to shift gears into why, why are you a part of walk the talk America? What, what drew you to this other than Mike, you know, thumb wrestling you into uh... <laughs> the, the constant <laughs> hounding and talking about it obsessively <laughs> while we're hanging out when the concert first started. Yeah, go ahead. Many, many, many a drunk conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've had, I've dealt with my own issues um, with respect to mental health. Um, and, you know, me and Mike have talked about it extensively. A lot of it, a lot of it uh, dealing with the anxiety aspect of it, you know, being in law school, dealing with the practice law, it's, it's high stress, high intensity. And, and as a result of that, you know, you don't really start to, you don't truly appreciate the effects that stress can have on your body. Right. And it's so sneaky. It's so sneaky. And it's like, especially with like anxiety, there's like a delayed onset reaction where you're going fine. At least you think you are. You're going and you're going and then boom, one day you're like, what was that? And then you're like, and you're trying to shake it off and you try to shake it off. You're trying to muscle through it. And it's just getting worse, um, you know, and, and, and so for me, I went through a really, really dark period um, in college uh, where, you know, when I came out on the other end of it, I, I, I told myself that if I'm if I'm presented with an opportunity to help in any way with respect to mental health and dealing with stuff like this, uh, I'm going to take the opportunity. And that's and you couldn't think of a better marrying of two issues with respect to that. Um, Mike just, it just came in the perfect form package of Mike. Yeah. He is a perfect package, isn't he? Perfect perfect package. No, it really, you know, for some reason, the rest of the world uh, thinks that as gun people, we, we can't be socially conscious or we don't get, and maybe some of it we we put on ourselves, right? Because it's an alpha world. Like the gun world is very, it's full of alphas. It's like, we're allowed to break down too. You know, <laughs> right. it's, uh, and, and, and for the most part, it's come to bite us in the ass in many ways because we've lost so many first responders and combat vets and active duty military that gravitate towards our community. Um, you know, you go to any gun show, NRA show, SHOT show, I mean, you, you're dealing with a lot of law enforcement, you know, you're dealing with a lot of first responders in every capacity. Um, you know, obviously military and, you, you know, those are the ones we take some hits. We've lost some great people. And that for me, it came to a point where I was just like, I'm tired that people put us in that box that we can't be that. Um, we can go out and do just as much for the community as everybody else. Yeah. You know, that's why I got the hashtag socially conscious two a, and I'm that's, that's what I want to create. Uh, Cause people don't think that they, they act like the two, you know, they're mutually exclusive and they're well, not. I think it's because we've always looked at it from a combative standpoint, you know, because you know, the, the mental health aspect of it, at least from our perspective and vantage point for the longest time, has been used as almost a, almost like a weapon mm-hmm. to vilify firearms. Um, and so I think a lot of people on the firearm side of it kind of, they didn't want to get anywhere near the idea of mental health and coupling with a gun. It's kind of the same thing with like alcohol. You know, the idea that they don't want to, they don't want to marry anything with alcohol to the gun, it's just because there's an inherent irresponsibility with respect to that. Um, but then when you take into account the mental health issue, from a political side, um, 
we've been dealing with politicians who have weaponized the mental health component or the mental health issue in this country to vilify firearms. And so as a result of that, the gun industry kind of almost has like a, uh, it's, it's almost shell-shocked, you know? And so immediately we see anything mental health, it's like we, our defenses come up because we're, we're so used to being bludgeoned to death with the mental health component as a way to justify restricting our rights under the Second Amendment. And so we just kind of get our guards up immediately and we're just like, nope, well, no parts of that because that's just some trickery voodoo stuff you're going to use to try to get me to give up my guns. Yeah, and, and it, for the listening audience, if you're not sure what uh, Colin's talking about, um, we have, and I can speak to Nevada, I can't speak to other laws, uh, states' laws, but in Nevada in 2019, the legislature passed two significant pieces of legislation. One was a so-called red flag law. It's a extreme risk protection order is what they call it, ERPO, E-R-P-O. And it has to do with taking away someone's firearms in a time of mental health crisis. Okay, so that's that's one standalone issue where uh, a firearms owner may go, well, I don't want to acknowledge that I'm struggling mentally if you're just going to take my guns away because for what period of time and for how long and how do I get them back? And like those are questions that the legislation itself did not answer. We have a very clear path to rights restriction, and I teach this. There's a whole full-blown presentation I give for like an hour on it. Um, but we don't have a path to rights restoration that's that's abundantly clear. In fact, it's it's actually harder given the burden of proof standard. So that's one issue that you know says to the public, hey, don't acknowledge you're struggling because you may lose your right to defend yourself. And that has long-lasting implications that are, and a big ripple effect into communities like um, people who live in uh, dangerous areas or domestic violence survivors and, you know, th- all sorts of stuff. The second piece of legislation that was passed was uh, the, the quote-unquote expanded background check law. And it, it really has to do with firearm transfers. If you transfer a firearm either for, for permanent because I'm giving it to you or I'm selling it to you or I'm just temporarily loaning it to you, now so says the law. Uh, you got to get a background check. And this also applies to people who carry uh, concealed weapons permits like myself. So if somebody's in a mental health crisis, the law is very unclear on how to um, get rid of those guns in that time and for how long. And the words like temporary and immediate are not defined. So that's a risk. But the worst part is in the, in the law itself, uh, there's, there's some language that lumps together, um, Felons, um, domestic abusers, the mentally ill, comma, and other dangerous people. And it's like, really? You just called somebody struggling with a mental illness dangerous people. It's really offensive. It's really judgmental language. And our legislators did not do a good job of consulting either law enforcement or the mental health community before they, they passed this thing. And it was done under the auspices of, you know, keeping people safe and closing the whatever loophole and the gun shows or whatever, which is not true. Anyway, we have it on the books now, and it only serves as a barrier to care. So now people don't want to go get the care because they think that me, as the clinician in the room, is going to pick up the bat phone to the government and like deputies are going to knock on their door the next day. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah, I know. So it's it, this is why we're trying to fight this battle. Is we, we, we want to stop suicides. Certainly, we're, we're a suicide prevention organization, I guess, fundamentally. But we need to start demystifying the counseling process for people, too, and say, look, w- there's a whole bunch of series of protections built into law and ethic that prevent me from 
from disclosing that to anyone anyway. And if you're in that acute of a circumstance, the first thing I'm going to do is call the ambulance, take you to the hospital. I'm not going to call, call the deputies, come take your guns. Like I'm going to get I'm you made, treated I've first. I've made that point in the video before. Like, like if there is a process to actually, you know, uh, in, in instituting someone unwillingly. Yeah. Yeah, there, there is. And, and then there's a whole discussion about that. But I, I, I think to your point though, um, it's not just the firearms community now that's on, that's on edge and skittish. Um, because along with those types of laws that go into place, people look at the government, you know, big nameless, faceless organization and say, well, if they can do it to them, meaning firearms owners, maybe, maybe I need to not admit that I'm struggling because my occupation rests in the balance of, uh, acknowledging that I'm, I'm struggling. And now maybe my boss says that I'm unfit for work. And yeah. what we've discovered along the way is that WTTA is not just bringing firearms and mental health together. It's every other occupation that has something to, to lose by acknowledging that they're struggling. It's like, what, what is it? Is it illegal to be sick now? Like <laughs> you're fired from work cause you're sick. This is, this is craziness. Yeah, no, it's like the rant over witch trials at some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she drowns, she's a witch. If she floats, uh, then we burn her because she's a witch. Like, <laughs> wait, kick it out, Collins. What's the what's the biggest misconception about you that you think that I don't that I have no life outside of firearms? <laughs> right, and cars, firearms, and cars. You don't right? have life outside of firearms. <laughs> I can go. I can go a whole week and not touch a gun. Um, now he starts shaking. He's like, "It's not a problem. I can quit whenever I want." <laughs> now let's get something clear, though. Like, I mean, it is a massive part of my life, right? But I, when I tell you, there are people who legitimately are like, anything I do that's not gun related, it's like, <gasps> wait a minute, are you? Are are you the same person? Are you different? is this guy are you a clone like it just it just gets weird um but uh and you know for new people and a lot of this is driven by the way they come across me is they think i'm like creative like i was like like i was just somebody that was manufactured like my my belief system and everything that that i fight for is just a means to a check and it's like no i've been doing this for quite a while Um, you can go and you can see the very terrible videos that I used to put up back in the gap um, where I was fine tuning, you know, my message and the way that I, the way that I presented it um, that can be very frustrating too, because it's like any conversation I have with somebody like that, I have to get before we can even get to the root of the conversation I have to spend first 10, 15 minutes demonstrating, no, I really believe this stuff. This isn't somebody who's putting this in my head. This isn't me just trying to find a, find a lane so that I can make a lot of money in. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, uh, I really believe this stuff. And so then finally after that, then we can start having the real discussion. Um, so that I, I would say those two things are the most it's not all 24 seven firearms world. That's definitely true. Yeah. It's like 23.5 five. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For you, uh, we've had this talk before. For those of you who are listening, 
Um, he, he actually, he has an ego, but he's not an egomaniac. And I, I say that from the, the most sincere place because, um, we've had these discussions before we were like, Hey, if I take my hat off, no one knows who I am. Right. <laughs> like we were at a UFC one time. Um, and sure enough, someone did recognize you from up there. Right. <laughs> like someone was up like in one of these. Nobody, nobody believes me until they see it with their own eyes, man. Like I told them that, like people are just like I say all the time. I'm like, eh, you know, when I, I put a hat on, you know, I will get recognized. And I'm like, because I'm in a weird place. I'm like in the most popular niche ever, right? So it's like it, the gun community is it's kind of is a niche niche community. It's not like I'm a rapper or or or, or an NBA player or something like that or some major politician. But at the same time there are a lot of us around. <laughs> so, you know, if I throw the hat on, I will probably get recognized at some point. And I think when I tell that to people who know me, they're like, God, you're so full of yourself. And then I put a hat on <laughs> and then I get stopped. And then I just look at them and I just hold it. And they're like, all right, all right, all right, all right. We get it, we get it, we get it. So it's like, I'm not, like, like, like Mike's right. Like, I, I, I can have an ego. I can be very cocky. But at the same time, I do reality is reality. Like, it just, it just it, if I put a hat on, I'm probably going to get recognized. And now that I've been growing this struggle beard, or as I like to call, I told Mike, <laughs> aggregation of little hairs on my face, I like to congregate from time to time. You know, even without a hat, sometimes I start to get noticed because like, oh, I know that struggle beard from anywhere. Right. So, and then they hear the voice and it's a wrap. So it's, it's okay to have an ego. I think, I think it's really important to keep in balance that for the stuff that I talk about. And if anybody's ever heard me mention Christian Conti, who's one of our, you know, one of my big mentors and and a very good friend, he talks about non-attachment and humility and we want to be humble. Um, but that doesn't mean we set aside reality. Right, like you said, right? reality is reality, and you when you put out as much content as you have over a long period of time that you have, of course people are going to know who you are, and we have to we can't ignore that and be like, what do you mean? I don't know who you. Well, I, we don't know what you're talking about because that comes off as contrived and and artificial as well. So it's okay to have an ego, and and egos by the by the Carl Jung definition, egos just are. They're neither good nor bad. They just exist, and that's okay. We want to be aware of them though. And that's the point. Like we want to know, you know, am I flipping the switch to go into character, you know, or am I like not? And that, and that's okay. It's all, I do have a switch. Well, I believe it. Yeah. My switch is a little different though. Um, see, there was an egomaniac again. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, no, not like your switch. (laughs) (laughs) Mine has like diamonds bedazzled on the tip of it. Um, I'm relatively recluse. I'm actually pretty introverted. And Mike, Mike has seen that firsthand. Um, however, once I know somebody recognized me as Coleon Noir, I will talk to you and engage you until it hurts. Hmm. Um, largely because I understand that you don't really know that about me. And so you've known me through this, this median that, um, that gives you the perception that I'm like this 24-7. There's no difference between Colin Noir and Collins. They're the same people. It's just one's one part of my personality mm-hmm. that, that I exclusively put out on video. Um, however, for me in my personal life, like I tell people all the time, I'm usually alone 75, 80% of the time. And, and, it's, it, and I love people. And, it's, and I'm weird in that I like to be alone around a lot of people. 
So I'm the guy who will go to a bar and sit at a bar and talk to no one. And so, but for me, naturally, I'm drained by, by, by you know, um, social interactions. After a certain, certain point, I, I'm just dead. Yeah. Um, now, I can dip into my reserves. And then, you know, if I, if I see someone who does know me from that standpoint, I, I'll, you know, I'll reach into the reserves and then continue the interaction until they've gotten the fill. Um, because I just don't want to be that person that, like, I understand that I try to keep things into perspective as far as context. Um, if I'm at, if I'm at an event and I'm ready to go, but there's one last person who wants to talk to me, I need to give them the same energy I gave to the first hundred people that I talked to. Because yes, I've talked to a hundred people, but they're talking to me for the first time. Yeah, and so I don't want to rob them of that of that of that interaction. And, and I do the best that I can. Sometimes I'm not always perfect, but I try not to rob people of that interaction. For for people who don't understand the idea of being an introvert and doing what you do, um, help explain where you draw your energy. Because I think we all get the idea of recharging, but how do you how do you draw energy to keep doing this? I need to be alone. Mm-hmm. I need I need to deep sea dive into my head. Um, so you add in the fact I'm an introvert and I'm an only child. So I've I've learned and I've developed a habit of creating, of understanding the world and viewing the world through the lens of being by myself. So I have an excessive amount of brain chatter, which probably adds to some of the anxiety issues as well. Um, But at the same time, I need to be able to to kind of be by myself because otherwise I'm going to be too focused on the interaction. So I'm not not going to be able to recharge because I'm, I'm draining. Um, and I'm depleting it. So I need to go by my, I need to be by myself. And when I'm there, I don't have to think I'm doing it now. Mm-hmm. I'm on like when I'm on, on, on a podcast that has video, there are a billion things going through my head that have nothing to do with what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Am I slouching too much? Am I looking in the camera enough? Are they going to be so mad at the fact that I'm sniffling every three seconds? You know, it's just, hey, like I was going to mention that how angry I am at, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> You're ruining everything. Yeah. Or I'm going to say something that's going to be taken out of context. You know, so it's, but when I'm alone, I don't, those things, I can push those to the side and then I can, I can mess up essentially. And then I can go through the process that allows me to understand, all right, don't do this, don't do this, learn how to do this, figure this out. And then when I'm alone, I, I, that I can literally recharge and I'll hit a point where I'm like, I need to be around some people because I'm about to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know? Um, because I love people. I love interacting with people. Um, I just have a depletion. Like some people have a, some people have a bigger reserve than I do, I guess is the way to put it. Cause I'm not antisocial, even though I'll tell people that in my personal life as a joke, yeah. but I'm really not. Um, I just, my, I go through my reserves a lot faster than most people. Yeah. You know, it was really interesting. So the first time you came to Vegas to kind of hang out and we were just blowing off steam. Um, I remember I, I picked you up from the airport and I said, do you want to go get something to eat? And then I took you to my side of town, which is Southern Highlands. I remember we went to rise and shine cafe and there was a table of people that knew who you were. And I thought they knew who you were from just being Colleen Noir. And it was funny because you're like, yeah, I went to college. I went to law school with that girl. They recognize you for that. Then we went to another place at some point of our trip and you had another college friend 
run, you ran into another yeah, coach. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we were in LA. Oh, where were we? Where were we at? We're at the pool party. Was that the pool party? That was a party. Uh, yeah. And you ran into another college friend. And I, I deduced that Collins has gone to school with everybody. <laughs> I'm like, I don't run into three people from Arizona state <laughs> like in the course of years. Uh, <laughs> if Heather, if Heather ever listens to this, she's going to say that that was me. Cause it took her like, and I, I was born and raised here. I'm fifth generation, Northern Nevada. Right. Like that's, uh, that's very different than running into somebody in LA. But, um, it was like that for the first, I don't know how many years we were together before she finally turned her turned her head around it and was like, Oh, this is just Jake. He knows everyone everywhere we go. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't, I don't get it either. And now, you know, like oddly enough as as introverted as I am, I always did stuff that were, I would always engage in things that were extrovert. And I think, I think that was, I think a lot of it is doing part to my only childness. It's this, this, this kind of, you know, like I can over recharge, and so it's just like, and then there's so much when you, when you live in your mind so much, there's so much of it that you just want to put out into the world at the same time. Um, and it was interesting because it's like when I met Kanye for the first time, I met him and I was like, this guy is really freaking strange. And then it hit me. I was like, he's you. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I was just like, oh, now I'm, I don't have, I'm not bipolar. I don't know if he's actually diagnosed with being bipolar, but there were aspects to his personality it was weird because I remember when I first met him and we shook hands, he looked at me and I looked at him and it was kind of like, we recognize each other's weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was kind of like, like looking in the mirror for the first time. Like. <laughs> and then it was, and it was real, it was real quick. It was real quick. But um, for me, you know, like even back in college, I was a club promoter and I didn't really party. It was, it was just, I just liked the idea of being able to go around and watch people party. Like it was, it was like, I was a club voyeur, like, 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 like like club voyeurism or whatever you want to call it. Um, And I ended up meeting a lot of people that way. You know, I had to teach myself how to network because when I was in law school, I understood from a business perspective, that's something I had to learn as much as I wanted to kind of retreat into myself. I knew that if I wanted to be successful at this, I knew I would have to learn how to network. So I just made myself very uncomfortable by learning how to network, just randomly talk to people. Um, and then I think as a result of that, I just didn't, I didn't realize over time, I just ended up learning and meeting and knowing a lot of people. Yeah, you do. And sometimes <laughs> it randomly, uh, you know, as, as, as close as we've been, there have been times when you're like, you say something, I'm like, wait a minute, you're sitting there with Tyson Beckford? Like, what? <laughs> like, what are you oh, come, like, come on, Mike. You do the same thing with me. <laughs> Even Pincus calls you the social butterfly of the gun industry. I will give him that. Yep, that is very, very true. That is very, very Not true. on that level, man. Uh, you, you, it's funny because you definitely relate to their. I think sometimes you don't brag enough because there are a lot of celebrities that, that kind of want to kick it with you or. Well, a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of them, um, they're gun owners and they're gun people, but they understand the lane that they're in and they can't really come out as such because it could, it could be detrimental because of political implications. It could be detrimental to their career. Yeah. yeah. Um, in which I totally understand. Um, it's easy for somebody else. Like, you know, a lot of people in gun industry are like, Oh, well, if they have guns, they should come out and it's just, it's like, no, I get what you're saying. 
but my business is guns. No one's going to say we're not messing with like, like there's not going to be a gun company that says we're not dealing with you because you're pro to a, you know, so it's easy. It's easy to say, Oh, well they should come out and say this and this, this and that. Um, when you're, when your livelihood isn't on the line, Jake had to come flying out of the two, a closet. I did. Yeah, it was because uh, I I've been in the field for I don't know tail end of '08 or something like that, and then um, it wasn't until last year that I actually started talking about. Yeah, I'm I, I own guns. I'm a you know concealed carry permit holder. Um, grew up around them my whole life. My my whole family's full of cops, and for us, I was not into the culture. It was just the the gun is a tool, and so I didn't yeah. we didn't shoot for fun. Or we didn't I didn't I didn't get it until um, I started hanging around with these guys. And there was a, a moment and, um, I was like, I'm either all in on this and I'm going to be very loud about it or I can't do it because it would be inauthentic. And if I'm going to be the guy who's been consistently preaching authenticity and transparency and accountability, then I, I have to, I have to be authentic and I, I, and I have to be transparent. I have to be accountable. And so I did. And, um, I don't know what the response was in the minds of the people whom I'm of whom I'm thinking right now in my head. But I can imagine that part of the reason that some of them don't talk to me anymore is not simply because of logistics and time management. Um, Cause I know the conversations that I was exposed to over the last several years. And I was like, Oh man, this might cost me some friends. But then I remembered that I, chaired my licensing board and rewrote some laws for the state that were, <laughs> were not well received by some of the old guard. And I was like, yeah. I already lost friends for the right reasons. I'm going to lose some more friends for the more right reasons. <laughs> and then I was okay with it. <laughs> Turns out they weren't friends anyway. So who yeah, cares? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you, cause I, I, again, a selfish question, but I think the audience probably wants to know too. Um, where did Coley and Noir come from? I know Noir is black and French, but like why, why a stage name at all? Um, for very dumb reasons. Fair so, enough. Uh, I had a friend of mine who used to call me Killer Colleon. Why I don't, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never told anyone. Um, I have no idea why to this day. Well, what's Col- what's, what's Coleon? Uh, yeah, like, is, uh, Col- is that just an I anagram probably, of Collins without the S? I probably have that conversation with him. Yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. Late lady <laughs> so, killer. Like uh-huh. lady killer. I, I don't Maybe. think I'd reached my prime then just yet. I was still, I was still wet behind the ears at that point. Um, but at that point I was starting my YouTube channel and I, I just, my name, even though I have a rather unique name in that I have two last names. Right. Um, I just didn't think it was cool enough. So I was like, well, Coleone sounds like a cool version, uh, variation on my real name. And I was always known for being really big on the color black. Like I'm obsessed with the color black. Um, I've tried to step into the rainbow and it, it, it sent me, sent me backpacking. They didn't want anything to do with me. Um, but that's not a homophobic comment, by the way, (laughs) anybody's hearing this and thinks that he's homophobic. That's not what we're saying. Oh man. No, no, but I did. I do like, I legitimately try to work, work colors every once in a while. And it totally disgusts me. That is not 
that is not a new window for any type of homophobia at all. Just to put that out there. But do you, do you, wait, real quick, do you remember when we were in LA and we, we had some free time and we went shopping and you would go try on something and I would, Jake, I would grab the most obnoxious outfit or something. We look like a couple, by the way. So there, there's no way. Uh, but I would go, he wants this in his size. Do you have this? <laughs> <laughs> And it would be like this spiky, colorful jacket that was horrible. Let's get the hell out of this dork. Fringe and sequins and zippers. Yeah. And he would look at me like, God damn you, Mike. <laughs> Stop. And I think I was like looking for like, we were going to like Wet Republic, I think. And I was yeah. like looking for like just some shorts to wear to Wet Republic. And I'm like, and then Mike just comes. Out, I was like, I can't even wear that swimming. <laughs> Why are you even suggesting these things? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no. So it was just color black, cooler version of my first name, Coleon. Put them together. Coleon Noir. Yeah. Will you ever have a fragrance? Will you come out with your own? Like Dracar Noir? Yeah. <laughs> but, let me tell you something. That, that, that part of the Dracar Noir to me is one of the coolest freaking names on the planet. So that, I'm pretty sure that was some of the motivation behind Noir. Because um, I don't know shit about French. The only reason I know anything about Noir was because of Jakar. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, I am actually a cologne fanatic. I'm, I'm fanatical about it. Like, it's insane how much money I spend on cologne. Um, there might be some deep-seated insecurity there about smelling bad, but I like mood, like sense legitimately will brighten up my day. I will take mm. showers at night before I go to sleep and put on cologne. I, I don't disagree. Look, look, look at Mike's face. Look at Mike's face. <laughs> I, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree. I, I, I have a large nose from my Italian heritage and my German heritage and I smell everything. I've got candles burning right now that smell amazing. So I, I'm, I'm in full. Well, where does agreement. your car fall on your radar? Um, I haven't smelled it in like eons. Okay, so I got a quick story for you guys. I when my grandfather passed, I basically, you know, his wife handed me a, a box full of all his materials. He had your car on there. So I started to to wear it. I hadn't worn it since high school. Yeah. When I used to wear it. I used to bathe in it. Okay. <laughs> I had my turtleneck and my chain and my cardigan and like I put it uh, everywhere. I, I was wearing it and I wanted to see if people what they'd say if they'd recognize it and what's amazing is so many people are like you smell good what are you wearing and i'd go it's dracar noir and they go no way <laughs> because i i mean i think they it's still in stores but my grandfather had a lot of it it's yeah. funny how if you take away the name and what's behind it yeah. a lot of people love it yeah you know? and as i pull up amazon to order it um <laughs> It, it, it hits in 2020, right? Like, you know, it's, it works. We're at that point now where it's, it's so old, it's considered retro. So now it's like, you'll be considered cool for wearing an older scent and you'd get a lot more respect for it. I'm, I'm always bummed because the ones that I love disappear on me. And uh, uh, Bath and Body Works is a, is a, a main culprit of that. Like uh-huh. cool, they terminated Cool Spring. They terminated Mountain mm. Frost. They terminated, 
uh, Juniper Breeze. They turn that's I know that was for women, but I wore it anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Alpha. See, the world needs to hear this conversation. He's got gun people, Alpha dogs, literally talking. <laughs> uh, Hill figure sport. Um, I, I could go on and on. Like all the stuff that I wore in college, I loved it. Smelled good on my skin, and can't find it anymore. So I'm just forced to. And and they change they change the the Bath and Body scrubs too. Like. Like you pick up one thing from from Dial and it smells really good, and you go back in six months and it's a different recipe or it's like more intense. Or, oh, yeah. I hate it. Just yeah. don't mess with the good thing. Yeah, no. And, and I'll be honest, I actually I remember Tom Ford has the sign. He has a signature line of cologne. Um, and one I'll never forget this. I wasn't. I was. I was calling on Noir, but I was like not not calling on Noir now, but like. You know, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty known. Um, and I remember, like, going to the counter, and one of the scents was uh, Noir, Noir Noir. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. I was I like, got to get that. This was made for me. It was. <laughs> it was designed by the Noir gods <laughs> and bestowed upon me. You know, that bottle was like $500. And I was like, I have to get it. It was a decanter size. $500 decanter. You know, I still have that shit. <laughs> well, yeah, it's yeah, it's a decanter. <laughs> yeah, how much are you going to use? <laughs> like, I still have it. And the funny thing is, I don't really like it. <laughs> like, sometimes out in a certain moods, I'm like, okay, yeah, I can deal with this smell of this. Um, you know, really what it was, I actually did like it, but then I smelled it on one of my friends and then I hated it. That's what happened. Yeah. Hmm. That, that sounds yeah. like a That sounds like a bad breakup song. <laughs> so it's, it's like usher it's like you remind well, you know, me of this cologne well, you know, i used like to wear you know different scents work with different people's body chemistries yeah yeah so you can have a scent they don't have a, the base undertone will be the same but the top notes will kind of change a little bit mm-hmm. um wow i'm really getting into this i know it's <laughs> good <laughs> so as a result you put the same scent on on four people it's going to smell different Yep. And so I guess I didn't think it worked with my friends. And so it, it was just sheared in my brain because a lot of my memory is pulled from scent, which I think is not unique to me. I think that's a lot of people. Um, but for me, definitely anchors, scent really anchors in a lot of memories for me. I have a question because you're in branding, you've built your brand, you you sell shirts, hats, and everything like that. Um, do you, you, ask him, you can ask him how we brand Walk the Talk America. <laughs> no I, w- I want to know like what happens when he runs into someone on this you've had to have run into somebody at an airport or on the street and they're wearing your shirt yeah i just i don't have a hat on so i'm like nice shirt <laughs> <laughs> that guy's an asshole <laughs> no sometimes they'll recognize me and then i'll stop of course and i'm just like yeah well like yeah and they're like you know you're such and such i still will never get used to that now ultimate flex if you're with a girl who you don't really know for the first time and she doesn't know who you are oh the flex is so unreal even though i've only had maybe that once or twice because they all as soon as they 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 hear they'll go google you to high hell the moment they get your name so there's no there's no keeping that a secret anymore i think for- I, I, I i've seen that i remember you kind of leading that that 
horse to the water at one point when we were out talking to somebody in Vegas. Uh, and, and I totally get it. When I was younger, I always found ways to crowbar whatever it was that I was doing was cool. Uh, <laughs> billboard right? Oh, wait a second. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you got to give it a shot. <laughs> No. Okay. So having said that though, there's, there is a, have you ever had that backfire on you as a gun person? Um, I generally can tell when a girl is not really into it because like I could be interacting with a girl and then like, cause I usually don't tell people who I am and what I do. Right. For no other reason than it just becomes a distraction. Um, and then largely sometimes I just don't want to talk about guns throughout the entire conversation. Cause you're going to want to have a conversation about guns that I've been doing since I was 20. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's kind of hard for me to bring myself back to that point, that starting point, and then have that conversation with you genuinely because then it's, cause it's like, I'm trying to sleep with you. I'm not trying to talk about you buying your first gun. Um, so from that standpoint, it, it, I won't talk about it or really say it unless it just kind of comes up naturally. Like I've literally, I mean, I've, I've been on a date before and, um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, sitting at the bar, we were just kind of talking and um, cause she had, she met up at my place and um, I usually do a sweep of the house where if I just put up all the guns and maybe leave out one because I really do live like my house looks like a trap house most of the time. <laughs> so, and so I understand how overwhelming that can be when you don't have complete context. Right. <laughs> so generally speaking, I'll sweep the house of all guns, put them all in the safe. And then from there, I'll, um, I'll make it so that um, maybe there's one gun out there. Right. And so I remember I had one like on a coffee table next to uh, my, my Eames chair. And so we go out and then halfway through, she's like, you know, I think she's like, I think it's really kind of cool that you're kind of in the guns. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I saw your gun on the, on the, uh, on the little side table. And she's like, I think it's kind of cool. I was like, and so I'm like staring at her and I'm like, is she, how is much she do you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, are you trolling me right now? And so I'm just sitting there, I'm looking at her. She's like, what? I was like, nothing, nothing. I was like, yeah, like I, I did. And then I just bust out and it's like this evil laugh. And I was just like, God, you have no idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like, but, but ironically enough, like she was like, yeah, she's like, I have a Glock 19 in my purse right now. Like, oh yeah. That, that, that's always fun when you're on it. It's fun. Uh, I've been there too. I remember going out when I was single on dates and, and, being pleasantly surprised when a person's like, I carry, yeah, you know, and you're just kind of like, Oh, wow. <laughs> I expect that. Yeah. yeah I, I have a similar experience. I was going on a date and somebody was like, Oh, you're in mental health. That's super cool. No, that's never happened. <laughs> hey, come on, man. That, that's gotta be getting better these days. At least mental health is a topic that is in the forefront of people's minds. Like, no, it's no, I mean, to your point though, Mike, it, 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 and to Collins is also um, the um, the idea is that when we're in public, separating what we do from who we are is a challenge sometimes. And and honestly, that's how people go through midlife crises. You know, they're approaching retirement or whatever, and all they've done is their whole life they go, "I am," and followed by their career. And it's like you conflate 
what you do with who you are, you stop doing that thing. And it's like, who am I any, you know, now? And, and that's, that's a struggle. So you know, about that. it's, it's, you thought, you thought about that mm-hmm. like for you, it's, it's become such a, such an ingrained part of me. Right. In terms of what I do. So the idea of like, what would it, like, how would it feel to not be doing this anymore? Well, and I, it's a, it's a weird place for my brain to go. I've never actually followed it all the way down to the end. I just kind of, I usually just kind of pull myself out of the thought process. Oh, all right. Mental health guy here. Um, I'll, I'll chime in. So one of the exercises I do with, uh, with patients and with, with friends and family and whatnot is like when they, they're worried about something, I'll go, all right, go to the, go to the extreme. What's the worst thing that happens if this thing doesn't come true or you don't get the blah, blah, blah or whatever, then what? And they go mentally, they go there and they go, well, I guess I'd figure it out. I'm like, yeah, okay. So maybe it's not that big of a deal. Right. So, so the exercise then is, all right, go to that place. What do you, do you ever see yourself not doing video production and guns? I mean, are you going to be, you know, 65 years old and still doing, you know, range videos? Maybe, maybe. Right. So maybe it's not a big deal then. maybe it doesn't need to occupy brain space today. Well, well, I think, I think it's because I love the creative process. Right. 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 It's not, it won't be because man, I got to keep doing this because I got to feed my family. It was just, you know, it's, it's more so just, I genuinely love shooting. I love shooting. I love guns. Um, same thing with the same thing with the car thing, right? My my love affair for cars existed way before the gun stuff, and I would argue it was probably even more so. I watch more car content than I do gun content hmm. by miles, not just a little bit by miles. Um, now, largely because I'm always doing gun stuff, but um, it I'm a man, I'm, I'm a man driven by my passions, and so with the gun stuff, the car stuff and everything else that I'm into, um, I'm going to do them regardless. And right. so the video side of it just kind of f- fulfills like being able to, to create, like there's, there's something incredibly awesome about, cause the whole time that I've, that I've grown up, everybody's always kind of pointed out how I have a kind of weird flowery way of kind of talking about stuff. Um, and then like my ability to recall, like I, I don't have a good memory, but I had good recall, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And so I can take two things. Mike's pretty good at this too. I can take the most random shit and make them make sense together. Mm-hmm. Like use that, that seemingly has no correlation, but use it to explain what I want to talk about something else with and make it make sense. Well, it makes you a good educator when you can do that. And that's, and I honestly like, that's how I, I see. I'm a teacher. Huh? <laughs> I think I'm a horrible teacher. No, I don't, I don't think so at all because the way that you, I haven't, I haven't watched a ton of your stuff. Mm-hmm. I've watched enough of it to get an idea about how you present. Cause I, I listen for different reasons. When I listen to people talk, um, I'm learning how to improve my own communication style. Um, gotcha. I do listen to the content sometimes, but, um, content tends to repeat itself frequently and it, regardless of who's presenting it. So I listen to, to ways and you, you actually do this thing where you, I don't know if you do it intentionally or if you script your stuff, but you go linear and you go in order and everything links and you do these linkages. And to me, that's, that's excellent teaching. Uh, you may not see it as that, but, um, but it works. And the people that I talk to who, sort of have a celebrity man crush on you because there are a few of those in my life. Um, they say the same thing. They're like, Oh, I learned, I never knew X, uh, until, you know, Colian talked about it. And I was like, yeah, he communicates really well. And 
I think articulating with intent is part of that. And I think you do it very, very well. In fact, earlier on when you were talking about, you know, going to law school and how you needed to learn how to network and stuff, I was like, why doesn't this guy just go teach? <laughs> and I, now it's coming up. So. But well, you do. The funny thing is, so I do a little bit of both. Sometimes I script, sometimes I don't. Hmm. Um, I like, I like the, the, one of the things about me, I, I, it's a gift and a curse. Like, and I learned about, I learned about myself in law school because I remember a teacher brought it up to me. Um, I remember my professor, her name was Professor Moore. Um, and she was like, you're probably going to struggle in law school with the exams because the exams are very linear. Ironically enough, my brain is not linear at all. Hmm. My brain is like, I go A, R, F, Z, D, B, L, and then get to the end, which makes me a great art. My ability to argue is great. Mm-hmm. I can come in and out of an argument. No problem. And I was like, oh, you want to go with that? Let's go there. And, you right. know, like that's not an issue. So structuring and putting things in a linear fashion, especially in a way that the law requires you to argue is incredibly difficult for me. Hmm. However, when I can take the convoluted aspects of my brain, force them into that pattern, that's what you're getting in the videos. That actually makes it better because it takes Whatever mumbo jumbo is going on in my brain, which makes all the sense in the world to me, but I'm forced to refine it and carve it out and put it in and put it in within structure. That's when I think the videos become more effective, because initially I was I was just kind of riffing off the top of my head in my videos at the very beginning. And I remember my girlfriend at the time was telling me she was like, you know, you're you're good. You're a good orator and you're a good speaker, but I think you're a better writer. Mm hmm. And so I was like, huh? She's like, I think you should write your scripts out and deliver them. And I was like, because we were both like in the mock, we were in mock trial in law school and she was the one responsible for getting all the rules. I could care too less about the rules. She would get all the rules, all the objections and stuff like that. I was the performer. Yeah. I took all the, all the information that she gave me and then I tailored it and put it into a story and then used it to, to make my point. Well, there's something um, hearing you explain that makes sense because there's something about your content that begets a depth that does not, it's not obvious, right? Uh, the way that you talk isn't just talking points. They're points with depth behind them. And I think people just intuitively understand that. But when I'm listening, I'm like, I know that this guy knows his shit because he could, delivers it in such a way that if you asked him to elaborate, he would. And, and that's so different. I think that's probably part of your popularity, too. Um, not only are you um, charismatic and, and enigmatic, which are both, you know, drawing. They create people to draw to you. Um, people inherently understand that there's more behind it. And not everybody out there does that. A lot of people try to, you know, like, they take to YouTube or they take to, to wherever they go. And they put stuff out there. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's okay. But do you know where that comes from? And See, there's... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I was, I was just saying there's there's people like professors in my life who, too who like they regurgitate the content from the book and then there's the person who practices it and knows where it originates and wildly different educational experiences. So I failed the bar three times. And I didn't I couldn't understand why. When we're talking, I was failing it by like a point or two. Hmm. And I didn't understand what the hell was going on. And every the first time I felt that everyone in my school was shocked. They were like, "You, right?" Yeah. Um, 
And then the second time was like, what the hell's going on? The third time was like, something's wrong with that guy. Um, but I realized something. So the, the bar is, is divided and you have your MBE, which is like multiple choice. And then you have your essays. My essays were off the charts, off the charts. My MBE, they weren't good, but I was falling below. And the reason why uh, I come to find out, well, one, at least in the Texas bar, they weigh, they weigh, there's more preference put on the MBE score than there is the SA scores. Mm. So you can do bad on essays, do good on MBEs and, and pass the bar. However, I was doing good on the essays and bad on the MBEs and therefore the issue. I, I, am a, I need to, I have to fundamentally understand something in terms of applying it in order for me to communicate it. And so at the time in law school, I was working at, because of my networking, I had legal mentors that I was working with. So I was already working on real cases while I was in law school in a way that I was bringing in those real world examples and applying them to the exam. So when I was making my arguments, my essays were good because it gave me the freedom to describe my points. Right. MBE, they give you a set of facts and they say, what's the answer? Right. And the whole time I'm like, well, it depends. Yeah, what's so the context? This, 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 <laughs> this. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I was so used to arguing both sides that it just, I was just screwing myself. So I literally had to get a tutor to teach me to the test. And then I killed it because he taught me, he's like, stop doing that. Just, just throw that out. Like, he's like, that's real world shit. Leave that alone. He's like, just, this is what you do. When they ask you this, this is what you say. <laughs> so, and the reason I brought that up is because I struggle with that to this day from the standpoint of putting my videos together. I know all the red meat talking points. I can literally, I could throw out a video in 30 seconds, except it usually like when we get off this call now, I'm going to go work on a video about uh, New York um, trying to ban body art, right? I could do that video right now talking to you. But it wouldn't be good. It would be right. just surface level. Like, in, in, and I have to go, I like, let me sit down. And I know all the, I know all the points. I know the things I want to make, but I still end up, I still find myself researching topics that I've talked about over and over and over and over again. <laughs> and it's like, I can't, my, my soul won't let me just sit down and just write out empty talking points and then deliver it to camera. I am so glad you said that because that is that I'm freaking out over here. I'm about to jump out of my skin because that is my <laughs> struggle. Kevin, our marketing guy for WTTA does the marketing for Zephyr. And he's like, yeah. you should do video on this. You should do video on this, do a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I could. And that's every time I sit down and consult with somebody or I do supervision, I'm, I'm talking about the same stuff, but it's disingenuous for me to just like start talking. I have to have purpose and intentionality behind. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And yeah, to man. the, to the test issue right after we get off of this, I'm actually going to go sit down with one of my interns and talk about our test because our exam is exactly the same. They give you these vignettes about what to do in like cases hypothetically. And you're like, well, you're, you're leaving out critical information. <laughs> like, like, I'm like, what is this? Like, this is, this is, you can't render a diagnosis on six paragraphs. I need <laughs> not to mention. I also for, for three, for what is essentially a six hour test, was dealing with blurry vision and massive headaches because apparently me and um, what's the type of lighting? Uh, fluorescent. Have photosynthesis, whatever the hell that shit's called. It's kind of like. Huh? The fluorescent, the tubes? Yeah, fluorescent lighting. Yeah. I have sensitivity to fluorescent lighting and I never knew this for years. 
Cause I never understood this. I'd be in class. Everything's blurry. I get headaches and stuff and I would just push through it. And so it wasn't until after the bar exam when I started realizing it, it was my, um, it was my then girlfriend's mother. We were at her brother's graduation and I just had to get up and leave because, you know, usually they're at any of these stadiums and stuff like that. It's like fluorescent light hell. And I remember I had to get up and leave. I was just so lethargic and I was just tired and I had a headache. And then I always knew what to do intuitively was get outside and get into the sun. Um, but I never realized what it was until we both did it at the same time. And she kind of looked at me and I looked at her because we were just standing outside. It's like, why the hell are you out here? <laughs> There's a whole graduation going on. Yeah. And I mentioned something about the lighting. She's like, you too? I was like, wait, what? And she explained <laughs> it to me. And so then it was then I understood, oh, crap, I am sensitive to this. Like even right now, um, I have a key light on me. I'm, and when I get up from this, I'm going to be exhausted. Hmm. It just, for some reason, it, it just like, just drains me. And that's why anybody comes to my house, there's usually no lights on. So you don't like light. You like to be by yourself. You're a vampire. <laughs> you can't beat him after a certain hour. You don't get him wet. Um, he multiplies. There's little noirs everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's hilarious! <laughs> he has a lot of rules that he comes with when yeah, you're a friend. Thanks. Thanks. He lives in a clap house, <laughs> trap house, well, house. flop house, I I have, flop house, trap house. <laughs> my dumbass didn't realize the other day I was because um, I recently dumped uh, Google in um, and married uh, Alexa, and I for, so I was sitting at home. And I was watching a video and they were saying something about, hey, Google. And, you know, if you're watching a video and they say the keyword, it, it, you know, it initiates. I thought I dumped Google. Apparently, Google has been living in my home the entire time because but I didn't realize it because it had fallen from behind like on the back of my couch it had fallen and fallen underneath my couch. So I've been screaming, hey, Alexa, for like the last year and a half. And then all of a sudden watch a video where it says, hey, Google. And she starts talking. I literally freaked out. I was like, what the? F-? And, then I, <laughs> and, so I, and so I just tested it. I go, hey, Google, turn off the lights. And they turned off. I was like, I've been in a polygamous relationship <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh my god! That, that that initial like when you heard it, <laughs> I jumped out of my skin a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was like, I knew y'all were listening, but damn, y'all really are listening. So, <laughs> yeah, because I've I've gotten I've had Alexa just engage, just pull that. She off. just did. Didn't yeah, she? I had her just turn on and talk before, and I'm like. That was really weird. And sometimes like when you're alone, you know, you're alone. I don't have any kids in the house or anybody. And then you hear someone just start talking. You're like, <laughs> it's pretty bad. Imagine sleeping in the internet. Shit. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah, it's weird. I've, I've had Alexa before um, lower for no reason. Like, like it's playing music and it lowers, like it's listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it's the world we live in. It, there's, it's a gift and a curse, right? Like, you know, it can be fun. Um, Alexa hates me or doesn't understand me because half the time I ask her to do something, it's completely whatever's on her time. So my relationship with her is, uh, <laughs> it's like most women in my life. I can only make a suggestion. 
Yeah, I, I asked for B.O.B. middleman and I get macho man by the village people. And, and she doesn't know who B.O.B. is. Like, check, stupid. I, I will say Siri has been a godsend to me for somebody who never liked uh, keeping a calendar because I have commitment issues of the most highest order. Um, and you probably picked up on that, Mike. So uh, so when's a good time? Let me let me let me let you know in about 30 minutes. Right? <laughs> like, but um being able to just say, hey, put the hey Siri, put this in my calendar. Oh, godsend. Godsend. I don't even because I was like, I was gonna have to hire an assistant at one point, but I had trust issues. So I didn't <laughs> want to let them in on any information that they would need to actually make my make my life better. So I was like, you know, no. So now Siri is my assistant. I, I I don't even know what I'm doing most of the time. I just go wherever my phone beeps me to. Beep, beep. Oh, yeah, I got that coming up. Speaking of, yeah. I'm looking at the time and realizing yeah. I do have that engagement with my intern at uh, oh, about good. 20 minutes. Um, Mike's turn. Yeah, let me just wrap this up. Collins, um, we touched on it a little bit, but how do you tend to your mental health these days? I have to learn how to stop. I have to learn to stop. My my mom is really good at doing that. Like she's just like stop, um, because I will go to complete burnout if I let myself. And then I've also got to really, and I've always never kind of cared, but I had to develop another level of not caring, not to the point of being callous, but just not. Yes, these people have been with me since a lot of people have been with me since the beginning of my journey. And where I am now, in a lot of ways, I feel obligated to them to let them into my world or let them have an access to me. Um, but I do have to some point get selfish and, and just and just shut down um, and not care about what this comment says or who's looking at it or, or whatever the case may be, um, because it will start to have an effect on you. So me picking times where I literally just and it's not nothing too structured. It's just like I know it when I feel it. And I'll just say stop. And I just won't do anything. How long did it take you to learn that uh, limit? Um, I just think I've gotten decent at it about six, seven months ago. Very recently. Yeah. So did you, I guess we're not concluding apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you, so knowing that now and knowing your propensity to like bury yourself and stuff and then coupled with the intense um, scrutiny from the public, did, did you ever find yourself just l lacking in motivation? And did you go through periods where you're like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, yeah. When it started to, when things started just piling up to the point, sometimes what would have happened is there would be so many things that I have to get, that I have to get done that I just won't do anything. Hmm. Um, I just don't have, I'm just, I'm just drained. Like I just don't, I don't have it in me. Um, there have been a couple of times where I'm like, man, this is this this stress is not worth it. It's just not. And I was like, I really don't want to do this anymore. But the funny thing about a passion, you don't really get to choose when you stop. Yep. <laughs> um, because I'll say that, go to sleep and wake up the next day and literally be right back in it. Mm -hmm. And so it I've had the definitely had those moments. To say the least. Me too. I can totally identify. Mike, you and I had a text the other day about why do we keep doing this? <laughs> it's like, you know, what a, what a strange calling. <laughs> yeah. Well, well thanks, well, man. 
Yeah, thank you for coming on. Um, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but I get a lot of emails asking for you to do more videos about Walk Talk America. I do too, <laughs> all the time. I don't want to put you that. I don't want you to tune me out, but. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we, we had the most honest conversation the other day. I said, Collins is like Iverson. He doesn't have to come to practice. <laughs> when you find out that more people find Walk to Talk America by Googling his name. <laughs> so he is the answer also, as it turns out. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. <laughs> no, I, I, dude, I just want to say that I appreciate you supporting me with this from day one. Um, you never once... You know, a lot of people, people don't know this. A lot of people, there were people that got under my skin because they're like, it's a waste of time, yeah. you know? Um, and you never did that. You were always encouraging me. I know passion when I see it, man. Yeah, I, I know what people were saying to me when I was starting, starting this stuff. So like it was yeah. Nah. And there's, there's really, there's no telling, you know, even if I actually believe that, which I didn't, when you, that, when that passion lit, hits and it latches on, there's, there's nothing anyone can tell you that's yeah. a that's a good way to conclude um because i think we've all had that experience where somebody tells us no that they doubt they don't see it they can't feel it and it can be quite discouraging and um i i mike and i've chatted about this too and i'm sure you've had the same experience collins um i had a moment years ago when I was doing the licensing board thing and like Nevada's a mess. We're, we're dead yeah. last in behavioral health. Um, we have been for years and part of that had to do with our laws and that's why I want to rewrite them. And I, I just know seminal documents well. So, so I was doing this and I was in the middle of it and it was causing me great distress and anxiety. And, and my parents one day when I was dropping off the kids, they were like, why are you doing this? Let somebody else do it. And I was like, I am the somebody else. It just <laughs> came out. And I was like, and then I, and then once the words were out, I was like, Oh my God, I am. Like there isn't anybody else. And for Mike, like no one else is doing this. And for you, no one else was doing that. It's like, well, what, what I quit, who picks up the torch? So if you're out there and you're hearing this and you're like, man, I've always had this calling, but I'm, I'm in the wrong job or whatever. Like don't quit your job, (laughs) but start building, start building the passion, uh, to the point that it, it becomes fulfilling and, Look, just watch your life uh, blossom. It really is cool. And things start to Where can people get a hold of you? Where can people pick up that awesome shirt and that awesome hat that you're wearing? Google me, baby. (laughs) (laughs) But not on a date. (laughs) You'll never walk the talk of America. (laughs) No, uh, I try to make it a point to be everywhere. Um, I'm on Instagram under MrCleonWar.com. I'm on Facebook under the same name. Uh, uh, What you call it? Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. YouTube. Um, I'm a, I try to be everywhere. Uh, and then of course there's my website, mysticallyonwar.com and then shop.mysticallyonwar for all of our two way merch. Funny thing is the whole point of the merch, uh, the branding side of it was to be, um, blatant enough to get your attention, but subtle enough to still want you to talk to me about it. So that's awesome. I got to pick up one of those essential hats. I got a couple of NOC hats. I can get you squared away. I got him. You know a guy. That's a guy. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, uh, Collins. I really appreciate it. Thanks for carving out the time. You're busy. And, um, Mike, thanks for, again, you know, bringing me on and shepherding me through this journey. I'm learning a ton from, from lots of people. So thank you. And to the listening audience, you know, uh, we couldn't do it without you. Please share this uh, broadly and widely. 
if you can, we want to just heal people. We want we want a healthy world in which we can live, where people are free from you know distress and disturbance, and we don't have to watch violence and all that stuff. Uh, you know, more more conversation is good. So, on behalf of the Zephyr Wellness family, on behalf of Arms Corps, which is uh, one of our flagship sponsors. And, of course, on behalf of the Walk and Talk America family and our board, thank you very much, and we wish you great mental wellness. Bye-bye.